Which learning trends are going to be hot in the near future? Which trends will be hot in the workplace of the near future? I have no crystal ball, neither do you, but we might ask ourselves, what's around the corner? Are they things like learning analytics or learning platforms, augmented reality, virtual reality, social learning? And more importantly, how will these trends, whatever they are, impact your talent development business as a talent development solutions provider and those of your clients? Today's guest is Don Taylor, who is chair of the Learning Technologies Conference, chair of the Learning and Skills Group, and chair, of course, of the board of the Learning and Performance Institute. Don is going to share critical results from his annual GSS, or Global Sentiment Survey, which goes out every single year to thousands of learning and development stakeholders globally to help paint a picture of what the talent development community, people like your clients, think are the hot trends around the corner in the near future. So in today's episode, which are the key findings from this year's GSS Global Sentiment Survey? What do they mean for the future of workplace learning? And how will they affect you and your client's business? This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for people like you and me in the business of learning and development, training and facilitation, coaching and consulting. And the reason we have this show every week is to help people like you and me to figure out a bunch of things. How do we get clients market ourselves, what do we do to win business, and so much more. So the goal of the show is to help answer those questions. I began as a classroom-based trainer, and of course, during COVID, I've morphed into a remote training provider. And it's really fascinating to me to know what people need and what they think they need, and even what they think they will need looking to the future. And this is why I've got Don Taylor on the show today. Don, as I said before the music, is really looking to the future and thinking, what are the skill sets around the corner? What does the GSS Global Sentiment Survey tell us about the training workplace of the future? Don, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you, great to be here. You began as a classroom-based trainer way back in the day, and then (laughs) you became involved in talent management software businesses and, and laterally chair of the Learning and Performance Institute. And now, among many other things, chair at the Learning Technologies Conference, let's go right back and find out what exactly attracted you to learning and talent development in the first place. Unusually, I decided to go into it. Most people sort of fall into it. I think I had a background where on both sides of the family, we had teachers. My mother and my sister were both educational psychologists. And I graduated in the mid-1980s and I thought I wanted to do something along those lines. So I went off and became a, an English language teacher, and it all stemmed from there. Did you teach this overseas? Yeah, I was in Istanbul for five years. Okay, yeah. That's that um, teaching English as a foreign language. Yeah, and very good fun. Learned a lot. Uh, it means you actually get formally trained in the practice of classroom training, uh, only for a month, but it's fairly intensive, and you learn not about so much the theory of learning, but about the practice of teaching, and it's incredibly useful. Did you do any train-the-trainer qualification? Yes, 
uh, what, what you covered was how do you manage a classroom? How do you make sure that people are uh, learning in a space? Uh, how do you, particularly in relation to language learning, make sure that people have enough phased, spaced repetition of uh, what they're learning? Yeah. And then you went on to, well, you, you got into working with companies in the software space, working with learning technologies. And these days you have your own brand, and that's perhaps how I best know of you, which is donaldhtaylor.co.uk. And you write about workplace learning and learning technologies. What, what was the gap between starting off as a classroom trainer to many, many years later uh, being a significant player in terms of, of shaping how we view learning technologies and um, what the implications are for companies? The gap was about 20 years, if not more, and the process was one that has been called retrospective coherence, which I believe is, <laughs> is okay. a phrase of Dave Snowden of the Kniffen Framework. And this means that you try a lot of things, you carry on doing the things that you're good at or that you particularly enjoy, you're bound to the things that you're not good at, it looks completely chaotic, and then you look back and you suddenly say, yes, everything I've been doing has led me to this point. And in this case, the point was being a figure whose job was to put people together in useful conversations and to interpret what was going on for the larger benefit of the learning and development community. Okay. So these days, I mentioned the, the work you're doing under your own brand. Um, let's talk about that for a second. So every year you produce the Global Sentiment Survey. For people who have not yet heard of that what exactly is that what is its intention and what does it tell us it's a survey that goes out every year to an increasing number of people each year i say every year we've done it for the last eight years since 2014 and the aim of it is unlike most surveys where you ask countless questions is to ask just one question now actually there are a couple of optional questions i might add each year but there's one obligatory question that question is the same format each year um, what do you think will be hot in workplace learning and development next year? And it sounds really quite weak when you express it like that because it's you're just a bunch of opinions. But the aim of it is to have a sense of what people are thinking about and what they're excited about. So it's the feeling as much as anything else. And the reason for taking this approach rather than saying, well, answer please 10 or 20 questions about your intentions and your budgets for the coming year is that I know from experience of trying to do that, that that doesn't necessarily yield very reliable data. So I've tried doing that in the past. And then at the end of the year, comparing what people predicted they were going to do with what they actually did during the year. And there's a, there's a very wide discrepancy, firstly. And secondly, if you ask learning development people, what are you going to do more of during the year? Typically, the answer is more of everything. And then you have to try to make some sense of it. So this is very simply trying to get a pulse check. Ask people what they think is hot. I don't define what hot is. I don't define the list of things that I give people. And the reason for that is that I, again, I, I don't think it's necessarily a good use of time. I think if you define them, people won't read the definitions, but you'll be convinced that people have read it and that therefore they're answering to a particular set of definitions, which they're not. They will just do what they do anyway, which is they'll they'll choose the things which they think are important and vote for them. And the key thing is that out of this, what I want to get is not a sense of what's happening this year, because just because somebody thinks something is hot doesn't mean necessarily anything's going to happen about it. 
But the people who answered this survey, and this year there were nearly 3,200 people who answered it worldwide, these people are all from the innovator early adopter side of the diffusion of innovation curve. So those are people who are really at the leading edge of stuff. It's not the case that everything they find hot and interesting is going to be adopted later on, but it is the case that everything that gets adopted later on at some point was thought to be interesting by these people. So by going out and finding these people, asking them the question, I get a sense of what is going to be hot maybe three or four years down the line. And the good thing is, by having the same question year after year, it's possible to get some sense of continuity and trends. And actually, the trends are pretty telling. So you ask about 3,000 voters uh, from among 95 countries. They're the stats I have from your site. Um, and if we think of the implications for 2021, quite a different different year and a difficult year, um, some things have surprised you, some things have perhaps not surprised you. Um, let's look at those then. So reskilling, upskilling, this proved from this year's GSS to be the most popular, well, let's let's call it the, the biggest surprise. Popular is fine. Pop- popular is fine. It was, it was the biggest surprise and it was the most popular. That's right. Uh, do, you want, do you want me to just explain just how significantly uh, popular it was? Let's do that, yeah. So uh, I've increased the number of people voting each year, year on year, and as the number of people increases, so the the distribution of the votes flattened so that the number of votes required for a top score to be top of the table has, has decreased each year. So last year, the top vote got 10.4%, but this year, reskilling and upskilling, which was new on the survey this year. So I give people a list of 15 things, uh, plus a choice of other. This was top of the list. The only, the first time anything's ever been top of the list that people choose from um, in terms of popularity. And it, was, it gained 13% of the vote, which is historically very high. And that's the first time that it's been anything like that since 2016. It was also the number one across each of the five different working groups. I asked people to define where they worked, uh, whether they were working in L&D in an organisation, whether they were self-employed or a freelancer or a consultant, whether they were an education, a vendor or something else. And in each of those five groups, it was number one. So it was number one historically, it was number one demographically. It was also number one geographically. There are six regions that I cut the world up into. And in five of those six regions, it was the first choice. It wasn't the first in South America, but that's the smallest of the regions, so that could have been skewed by the sample size. And in the five regions where it was number one, they were very tightly matched. It wasn't the case that one region was all out gung-ho going for it and the rest sort of coming along for the ride. Each region rated it highly. The lowest was at 12%. And you could the the grouping was very tight. There was a 1.5% gap between each of those five regions in terms of the gap between the the vote for it in the most popular and the least popular area. In other words, it was an astonishingly popular choice, geographically, demographically, historically. We've never had anything like this before. So yeah, it surprised me. Now you mentioned in the in on your website that this was an option newly introduced this year. Um, it it was at 13%. And then you also made the interesting remark that um, it's open to question. It isn't reskilling and upskilling the the daily workload of L&D anyway. I mean, it, it, let's think of the inclusion. Why was it until now excluded? Can I ask you that? Yeah, I have to make a choice about what's hot, what's not, what's what's going to pique people's attention. And I'm pretty sure if I put reskilling and upskilling in the, in the list two years ago, 
uh, it, it might have might have been somewhere in the middle. But what happened was those particular words became extremely popular starting out in about January 2019. And if you look at Google Trends, you can just see a, a straightforward uptick um, for both phrases. And that's when people started talking about it. And I tend to see what's going on in the world and I try to reflect what I think people are talking about in the survey so I can see how people are making choices between things. And they were choosing, well, clearly this year, they chose reskilling and upskilling to be the most popular thing. What are the implications then for, for training providers, learning solution providers, for that thing alone, just reskilling, upskilling? Well, one obvious implication is that if that's really popular, other things are less popular. So yes. the, things got driven down, <laughs> the things that got driven down the table are the really hot, sexy technologies that you know were very, very hot a couple of years ago. So artificial intelligence uh, had, a again, historically unprecedented fall um, from the fifth position to the twelfth position. That is interesting. Yeah. Mm. And that was super. That was super hot. Not anymore. Uh, virtual and augmented reality, the same deal. That also fell down the table. So if people are talking about this daily bread and butter of what we do, then other things are going to be less popular. So if you're marketing or you're, or you're thinking about what you're going out to your audience with, think about what their problems are. And their problems right now is the is a combination of two actually quite different things: the reskilling, giving somebody the skills they need to do a new job is different from upskilling, giving somebody the skills they need to do their own, their current job better. And you have to think about how you might approach, well, you don't have to, but I would invite you to think about how you would approach your clients with those two rather different offerings in mind. And, you know, there's an awful lot around that. But in particular, if you're talking about upskilling, almost certainly most organizations right now are talking about how do I get my people to be able to work remotely digitally? That's that's the theme. So if you've got an artificial intelligence product, great. It may be wonderful, but attach it to the idea that it can help people learn more effectively, or sorry, work more effectively digitally. If it's reskilling, that's a smaller number of companies, but they're probably putting work into it quite significantly in terms of saying, well, we've got, for example, bank tellers that used to be face-to-face. We need to move them into an online environment. That's a different job. They need to have a new set of skills entirely. So that reskilling is they're generally programs that companies are implementing. If you're in the position to be able to help any organization implement a change program around shifting people from job A to job B, then you should be in a pretty rich market right now. So that's two of the implications for the provider community. Something else you mentioned was the the decrease. Um, artificial intelligence decreased by 4.3% year on year, and then virtual uh, reality, VR and AR, augmented reality, same thing. I wonder, is that down to the fact that some people have thought it would be here sooner? Um, and now they realize that the technology is necessary to make this really um, a game-changing um, product. Um, th- that's still a while away. I mean, I, I'm thinking of, of AI, in my experience of in learning, that the technology standard we need is not yet here. And is that reflected, therefore, in, in people's opinion that um, it isn't? It's it's hot, but it's just not hot yet. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, I think both of these have hit the downward turn in the Gartner hype cycle. So it's one of those things. There's a spark. Everyone gets really excited about something. Then they realise they were overexcited, and it drops down into the trough of disillusion, which is what Gartner called it. Actually, of course, both of those were already on the way down, but they were just given a kick down faster and further by COVID in particular. I think what happened is we had a lot of people who were 
flat out trying to do the daily job. And they, <laughs> they knew that AI might be useful. They knew that VR could be useful in certain circumstances. But right now, they just didn't have time for that. So it was pushed to one side. It wasn't, it wasn't on the horizon at all. Um, ironically, of course, we're using AI all the time in our daily lives. If you do a Google search for something, you're using a set of algorithms. Exactly. You're you're drawing on a massive data set. So it's also the case that as well as it being a bit difficult to think about, it's also the case that people are accepting that AI isn't a single thing by itself. It's more like a component of other things that we're doing. And so my prediction is, yeah, AI will come back. When we come back, we we won't see it come back as a separate option uh, it's more likely that we'll see it come back as part of a learning platform, uh, a coaching tool. I mean, there's an awful lot of exciting coaching tools out there right now. It'll come back as part of um, skills analysis. It'll come back as part of uh, talent marketplaces. There's lots of places where AI is being used really effectively, but you won't see it. It'll be hidden. Yeah, it won't come back as a badge. Hey, I'm artificial intelligence, but it'll be a component <laughs> of many things. In the same way that you know, people haven't said, you know, let's just say we went back a hundred years, people would say electricity will be the thing of the future, but we don't actually now d- define anything as electricity because it powers so many things. So AI will almost become an embedded, invisible component of how we help people to learn and acquire skills in the future. Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly the right analogy, yeah. Mm. Well, something else uh, of surprise to me is learning analytics. I would have thought, again, given the increased reliance upon um, technologies, which we've mentioned, uh, artificial intelligence, that more than ever, we'd be uh, really gung-ho, enthusiastic about how we can assess people's skill sets, the the training gaps, and be much more informed about how to actually close those gaps. Um, it seems to have suffered badly as well. If I look at the poll... It came, it came down. It dropped down um, by 1.6%, which is, which is more than a lot of the options, and not as, not as much of a fall as some of them. Um, it was top of the table last year. It was super hot. And the year before, it was number three. So it's come down. Actually, over time... Almost everything comes down over the table. It's just the way things are. People get excited about something, and then either it becomes business as usual, or their attention shifts elsewhere, and they're just not excited about it anymore. So it's not unexpected that it would come down. But I think that the the interesting thing, as you say, is you might expect it to be a bit more, I don't know, a bit higher up and still to be there because it is so important. Um my guess is that it's just it's come down because that's the way of all things. But it, it is still near the top of the table. It's still uh, one of those dominating themes. So it's not as if it's been forgotten entirely. So I wouldn't write it off just yet. I think plenty of people, plenty of people are going to be um, doing learning analytics uh, this year. And don't forget, of course, these are the innovators, the early adopters. It is still just coming into the pipeline as far as most people are concerned. So I think I think if you're a vendor or you're an independent consultant and you're trying to go out and help people understand data, make the best use of it, I still think that's a rich scene to be plowing. I think the fact that it's come down, weirdly, is a good sign. It means that people are sort of coming to accept it, that, yeah, this is part of our daily work and and we need to be be doing it, and they don't know how. So that's an opportunity to go and provide services. Right. So we need to have more of a business-centric conversation, less about uh, training products and more about being able to help clients understand where performance can be shifted and and, and, and helping people to know exactly what, what to buy from you. I would absolutely say so. The issue is that most 
people I know. Sorry, so that's not the case. It's not the most people I know, but I rarely see very good client engagement strategies at work uh, where people go in to listen, understand a problem, analyze it, and talk about it in business terms, and then see what they've got to match. The issue is, of course, generally what happens is you've got a salesperson who needs to hit a target. And by the way, I've I've run sales teams in the past. I know how this works, and I'm not trying to have a go at anybody. You're thinking about that Monday morning meeting when you've got to justify your pipeline. Fair enough. But the best salespeople I ever had working for me were the ones who really embedded themselves into the organizations they were working with and, and understood their businesses. And those people had the conversations where they listened and then were able to say, well, I can help you meet your goals by doing this, this, and this. And actually, that thing you want to do, no, I don't recommend doing it. Um, that, that That is a conversation that requires a mature, long-term relationship with an organization, as well as exactly what you say, the ability to have a business-based conversation. So you've got to have the relationship and the trust and the ability to listen and to talk in the in terms of the business itself, rather than your set of things that you want to, them to buy. So a training provider, someone perhaps is a small uh, training provider or, or a facilitation service provider, where would they start with getting to grips with learning analytics? It, it's a definitely a, a skill set in itself. But if someone wants to know enough to be able to say, there's a business case for this training program, which I'm selling you, here's how I've interpreted the data, here's what it means. How would someone acquire these skills to be able to bring uh, analytics into a sales conversation as a training provider? I, I would try to avoid, this sounds a bit weird, but I would try to avoid the word analytics altogether. It's it's nothing more complicated than understanding the business. I'm not saying you're wrong, by the way, in using that word, um, but I'm just saying that I, I, I wouldn't get obsessed about it, Mark. If you're, if you're listening to this and wondering what can I do, I wouldn't get obsessed about analytics. What I'd get obsessed about is understanding what your client believes their problem is and understanding how they represent that in in terms of data. So if they're trying to get a certain customer satisfaction level in the call center, and it's currently, I don't know, 72%, but they need to get it up to 80%, then you have a conversation around what they believe are the barriers between 72 and the 80%. And you look at where interventions may have helped in the past with bridging that gap. And that's analytics. It's not really learning analytics. Learning analytics, to be honest, is probably the wrong term to use it. It's business analytics, but you're taking the analysis of their business and you're mapping it to the interventions that you've got that may have made a difference in the past. Um, And from that, everything else comes, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and that's something I've alluded to in previous episodes is perhaps um, people's conscious uh, lack of of ability to understand what the business needs, not just what I'm selling, but being able to say, if we make these changes to your team's skill sets in these areas, you can see a return on investment, level five. Well, ideally, yes. Uh, I would I would always be wary about over-promising. I'm sorry, but what you're expressing is exactly right, but I'd be very wary about going in and saying, I can guarantee a return on investment. No, of course I'd, not. I'd, 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 I'd say, <laughs> never use the I'd word say, guarantee. <laughs> yeah, never use the word guarantee. And I'd also be wary about even return on investment because it has a particular accounting um, reality around it. So if you follow the Jack Phillips method, 
yes, you're going to absolutely pin it down and you're going to come back with a return on investment. Great. If you are talking about increased, about about being able to help people meet a behavioral change requirement from the organization, you may not be able to express that in strict ROI terms. Nonetheless, you can still absolutely provide value for the organization. Let's say that the, the value or the, the way somebody running a, a, a restaurant sees whether their customers are satisfied is not by running a customer satisfaction survey, but rather by looking at the tips jar. So they may say, all right, our tips jar is looking bad. I wanted to get up by 20% more by the end of the week. All right, fine. You can do that. You can help them get better at the staff get better at providing satisfied customers. Almost certainly what you're doing is part of a general uh, set of things you're helping the waiting staff and the rest of the organization to do. So to try to claim that all of the impact you've had is from the, uh, the training to the waiting staff wouldn't be accurate. And it would be difficult to get an exact measure of the change in value across across what everybody's ordered. So you'd be, find it very difficult to do an ROI analysis. Nonetheless, you if you get that up to the 20% that it needs to be by the end of the week, then you've absolutely provided value. So that's a sort of that's a slightly abstruse example. But what I'm saying is I wouldn't get obsessed by, again, the terminology, but I would absolutely be obsessed with value. How can I listen to the problem they've got and then provide something against that measurement? So whatever it is, and it has to be a measurement. And the measurement might be anecdotal, but I've got to measure against that to show that at the end of a period, we've had an impact. And you're absolutely right. You start that way by having the conversation, understanding what the business needs rather than going out trying to sell what you've got in your kit bag. Yeah, which is, of course, a temptation. One more thing you've mentioned is the return of social learning, which I think you said was in decline since 2014. And now, seven years later, um, it's only one of 16 items to have increased its share of the vote. It's out now, I think, 9.4% from your survey this year. Um, does that surprise you? Is that? Um... Yeah, I was absolutely amazed by that, Mark. I, you know, I can generally, I'm generally pride myself on being able to predict what's going to happen. I, this one didn't completely bamboozle me. I didn't see this one coming at all. So what's what's happened is over the past, uh, yeah, since 2014, it's been in decline. The number of votes going to the the option we have, which is collaborative slash collaborative slash social learning, has declined year on year, although, and it's been an almost straight line down, but in 2020, it did start bottoming out a bit. And then this year, ping, it jumped up. But it's extraordinary that it jumped up in this year when everything else came down the table because all the votes were sucked up by reskilling and upskilling and everything else suffered. So this was the only thing that bounced back, apart from the other option, which doesn't really count. So why, when everything else was depressed, did this one come back? Um, I think two th there were two reasons for this. Firstly, um, the interest of learning and development generally in social learning stems, I think we can we can pretty much pin that down on a book that came out in 2006, Jay Cross's book, Informal Learning. That was a seminal work that made everyone realize that they, or, or helped people identify something they'd felt, which is that learning doesn't all take place in the classroom. It takes place in a combined a variety of ways. And a lot of it was informal and probably only a fraction of it was formal delivery. So given that, uh, the social part of it, the collaborative part of it, was a substantial part of what we weren't learning in the classroom. 
Now, everyone knew about that. And so when I started doing the survey, collaborative and, and social learning was very high and it continued to be high. But I really feel that from 2006 through to about the beginning of 2020, it was seen as being something we should do, but we didn't actually do. It was a theoretical goal. What happened in 2020 was that people started to actually do something that looked like social learning. So we had people getting together on Zoom, on Teams, uh, on Slack, on Yammer. Was it really social learning? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it was really social learning in, in the way that we'd like it to be, where you've got communities of practice, identifying goals, tackling them and learning together in a, a really social, collaborative way. Nonetheless, it was a real shift from what we've done in the past. So I think that the reason why it bounced back was that learning development woke up and said, hey, it doesn't need to all be about instruction, and probably it can't all be about instruction. There is a valid alternative way of doing it, and I'm going to give this more focus. And I think that was a, it was a, a surprise, yeah, <laughs> really caught me on the hop. And it was also uh, a pleasure as well, because I think it's something which we haven't given enough attention to, and I'm delighted that it's, it's come back up in prominence for most people responding. The final thing then is is the opportunity this represents. So what is the unique opportunity stemming from COVID? It's it's like it's a year like no other. The last 12 months have turned people's heads and turns pe- turned people's worlds upside down. What can we do to position ourselves now as as a part of the strategic component of a business? In, invariably L&D has always fought for the seat at the table. Um, there is now I suppose a case to be made for helping to businesses to recover. And and what would that be? What What is the opportunity that you see it uh, out there now on the basis of um, COVID as we turn the corner, hopefully? And the answer varies depending on what you're doing. So if you're a learning and development, part of a learning development team, I think that there is a window of opportunity here to shift what you do from tactical to strategic. You'll know that most of the time you're dealing with people who phone up and ask for a course. Usually they're asking for something that doesn't actually sort out a problem. And that's extremely frustrating. Um, What happened last year when COVID struck was that there was an immediate, short and very intense period of adapting of a few months where people had to take a classroom course and get it online in some way. At some point in the future, we'll be advancing forward with a new way of doing things that will be better, we hope. But what we did last year doesn't automatically morph into what happens in the future. That, uh, That adapting to the immediate need doesn't automatically become the sophisticated tools for advancing forward. In the middle, there's an adopt phase. And that adopt phase, I think, is happening right now in 2021 in most organizations. And this is the time when organizations and L&D have to be very clear about what they're going to take forward from what they did and what they're going to throw away. Because when you're working in an emergency and you're changing stuff, to do as well as you can in difficult circumstances, inevitably you create some bad practice. That has to be thrown out and we have to move forward with the best practice that we've established for ourselves. And we have to look very carefully across all of the opportunities that exist there with technologies and good practice from elsewhere and decide which ones that we will consciously adopt so that we build the bedrock for learning in our organisations. If we don't do that, then I'm afraid we just stay in the position of being what I call the pizza delivery people. That's true. Somebody phones up, they, 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 they order a course, yeah. we pine up on it or hammer anchovies, and we have to deliver it. And if we, we have to take the, the, the conscious decision that actually we're going to be a high-class restaurant and we're going to work together to meet the needs of the clients much better. So if we don't 
take the opportunity, which I think lasts a few months through to somewhere around the end of the year in 2021. If we don't do that now, then we're going to stay tactical. If we do it, then we have a real opportunity to go strategic. So I think that's for people inside learning and development, inside organisations. If you're outside and you're an individual consultant, I think you've got a real opportunity to help people understand how they can do this, how they can really work on their performance consulting skills, how they can understand their business better, how they can understand the best practices that exist elsewhere in the industry so they can do a great job of going forward. I think think there's a consultative piece there, which is a very strong sale. And I also think that some people out there will be looking for new things now because they don't want to go back and they probably can't go back to doing things the old way. So they're looking for new ways of delivering in particular hybrid solutions. So I think this is a good opportunity again, if you've got a company that's delivering solutions to find a way to help them with hybrid solutions. But again, of course, the stuff that meets the business need, not just selling what you happen to have in the back room. Right. Well, that's, that's we've, we've covered loads, Donald. Where can people <laughs> find out more about you? Um, and because it's definitely worth downloading. Is it, is it true to say it's free? The report's free, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's free, yeah. Okay. And it's something that we should be reading, actually. Um, a lot of interesting statistics in there. So people can find the report on donaldhtaylor.co.uk. And how else would you like people to connect you or connect with you or find you? Always the best place to, to, to connect. Really, really want to just be in touch and to serve people in the industry. I've spent my life uh, trying to support people who are doing a good job in our field and really want to keep doing that. So please uh, stay in touch. And if you do download the report, uh, by all means, read it with some scepticism, but regard it as the jumping off point for some thinking. That's what people always say to me, that it helps them think about and speculate about what they should be doing in the future. And that's, I think, the service it can do to you. Don, thank you very much for being my guest today on the show. It's been a pleasure. A huge thank you to Don, and you can check out Don via his website, which is donaldhtaylor.co.uk. That's D-O-N-A-L-D-H-Taylor.co.uk. And you can download Don's free report, plus all the ones from previous years, by visiting his website and signing up. And one more time, the GSS is the Global Sentiment Survey 2021. Thanks to you for your time today, wherever you are listening to the show. And please keep on sending me suggestions for the kinds of episodes and the kinds of guests that you would like me to have on the show. You can reach me personally via mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read emails individually and will, of course, respond to you. You can subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. And you can check out the kinds of articles that we have right now on our website, www.trainingbusiness.com. Until next week, when I look forward to your company, keep on training, keep selling, keep safe. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.